Pleasant Friday night to you all here in Chicago. Hope all is well. This is Bears All Access. We're brought to you by IGS Energy with my broadcast partner from News Radio 780, 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago Bears Super Bowl winner top there. I'm Jeff Joniak and joined by, from Phoenix, former Bears quarterback Jim Miller. 5-7 in Phoenix, <laughs> Eagles and Chiefs on Sunday. Getting up early, uh, earlier today with us. How you doing, my man? I must really love you guys. I turned 52 last night. I went to the Mike Ditka party, and now I've joined you guys at 7.30 in the morning out here. So I really love you too. Tom, Jeff, good to be with you. Well, happy birthday, Big Jim. <laughs> I'm feeling good. It was a great night. It was a really fun time. Brian Erlacher was there, so I talked to Erlacher last night. It was a lot of fun. That's wow. great. It's great to, you know, it's great to still have this continuous support of Mike Ditka, your continuous support of the Chicago Bears, and Hey, you're a major media marketed, you know, baby. So everywhere you go, it's the party of the night. <laughs> well, it, last night was a, a better than usual party. Brian knows how to throw one. Let me put, let me, let's put it that way. Dick always good, and Brian uh, really followed up pretty well. Oh, uh, so Brian had his own party. Yes. Okay. Well, that's his home turf right now in Arizona. So uh, first and foremost, and uh, Ditka, that that famous party, uh, you know, for the. For the injured uh, veterans is always an important one. It draws a lot of big names, uh, a lot of support from Mike. Uh, how's Mike doing? He's doing great. Uh, Rod Jaworski was there. They've done it for years. And Brian, you know, because Mike's, you know, Coach Dick is going through some health issues, and Brian has kind of taken that moniker and taken it forward. So it's a great thing. All right. We want to thank our producers, as always, Dan Brilli and Jordan Tredup, and the folks here at The Score. We're brought to you by IGS Energy. So, uh, let's start with uh, the awards night last night, and obviously the big draw was who was going to be in that Hall of Fame class. Chicago Bear fans obviously uh, wanted to know what the situation was with Devin Hester. Did not make, did not make it. Uh, Tom and Jim, I'll, I'll start with you guys on on your reactions to that first and foremost. Later in the program, uh, we'll be talking to Dan Pompey, who's on that forty nine man committee to select the Hall of Fame class. You know, I'm disappointed, you know, Jeff, we've had the opportunity and the privilege to broadcast every single one of Devin Hester's Hester's game. So this is not somebody that we're hearing about or listening to stories that people had eyewitness accounts of what he was able to accomplish. His day-to-day -day detailing of how he worked at his craft in order to be the best, and it's disappointing. Well, I think for me, anytime any of these voters, and I talk to a lot of them out here from Jeff Hobson to... You know, you look at Alex Marvez, all these voters who vote for the Hall of Fame, it's always about who changed the game, who has made an impact on the game and changed it. And I think Devin Hester has done that. I mean, clearly his, his statistics prove it. But as Tom says, the further you get away from it, now you start to get into the senior class and all those type of things, and it gets pretty political. Those guys get in a room, and they kind of get to the point where if you vote for my guy, I'll vote for your guy. And they're kind of trading – how do you say it? They're 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 kind of basically using votes in order to get their guy in, and it becomes very political at that point. But at the end of the day, it's got to be who's the who's the guy that changed the game? Who's the guy who impacted the game more than than anyone that has ever done it? And I think Devin Hester has done that personally. Yes, Devin Hester did revolutionize how teams prepare for the kickoff return and the punt return, and uh, it still puzzles me to this day why. Why they even bothered kicking to him because he made something happen and that group was so invested in getting him to the end zone, it became a, uh, a fury, it just a furious fury to get him to the end zone 
and it happened so many times. Again, we'll talk more about Devin in particular uh, coming up in a, a segment later on tonight. Uh, also, the class itself. Let, let's break that down. So it's defensive heavy. In fact, the last two years, eight of the ten modern-day finalists, fellas, are defensive players, and offensive players dwarf the number of defensive players in the Hall of Fame. But Joe Thomas, the left tackle of the Cleveland Browns, uh, over 10,000 consecutive snaps uh, on a team did not win a lot. Darrell Revis, Revis Island, one of the best corners in NFL history. DeMarcus Ware is a pass rusher, no question. Rondé Barber, underrated nickel, loved those nickel blitzes, had plenty of those and interceptions in his career for a great defense. And Zach Thomas, uh, many people might look at that one and say, well, wait a minute, how Zach Thomas, the middle linebacker, the Miami Dolphins, Dallas Cowboys, but uh, fellas, he gets into the Hall of Fame. Probably uh, a name that a lot of folks uh, may not even uh, uh, wrap their head around a little bit, even though we enjoyed the way he played. I think he was kind of an underrated player, Tom and Jim. I'll, I'll start on Zach Thomas because, one, he did it in a 3-4 defense, and he did it in a 4-3. And his numbers are up there with Brian Urlacher's and the, the amount of tackles. I actually think Zach Thomas has more tackles than Brian Urlacher. But mm -hmm. uh, it was interesting. Coming out uh, of college, Zach and I signed with the, the same agent. Uh, Joe Linta Sports, and uh, Zach, as we know, was an undersized guy, a high-energy guy, just kind of an overachiever, but there's no doubting his productivity. Like I said, if you were to go look at his numbers, they're up there with uh, Brian Urlach, uh, and he did it in both, uh, like I said, two different defensive schemes and was very productive. And everybody questioned because he was an undersized guy, and I actually talked to Zach. I said, Zach, did you prefer playing in a 4-3 or a 3-4? He preferred a 3-4 because when you, you have a 3-4, you basically have five guys who leave you unblocked, which led him to make even more tackles because of his quick twitch and, uh, you know, just his ability to hit and his, uh, you know, his love of the game. So I, I thought Zach Thomas was deserving. I, I don't think it was – it shouldn't be a no – or shouldn't be questioned because if you go look at his numbers, they're right up there with Brian Erlacher. Well, you know, Zach Thomas, he did what his ability and what he was gifted with. He was a great studier of the game. He had great initial reaction, uh, you know, kind of similar in size to a Mike Singletary rather than a, a guy like Brian Urlacher. So, Zach Thomas, what is he, a five-time All-Pro? And, uh, you know, like Jim said, he's successful in every system he's played in, and I think Zach Thomas deserves it. Uh, 48 uh, pass breakups in his career, 16 forced fumbles. He had 20 and a half sacks, 74 tackles for loss in his career, and uh, interceptions, 17. So Zach Thomas uh, gets in 1,100-plus solo tackles. All right, and then the veterans, Ken Riley, a uh, guy they called the, the snake, uh, Cincinnati. This one shocked me, 50-something years of Cincinnati Bengals football Anthony Munoz and Ken Riley, the only two Hall of Famers from the Cincinnati Bengals, to this point anyway. Uh, Joe yeah, Burrow Ken. on track, though, <laughs> that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, but Kenny Riley, you look at his interceptions. You know, this is why I think Peanut Tillman is going to have a, a good a good case to make the Hall of Fame as well, the ability to cause turnovers. Because Kenny Riley, I mean, it, it's a logjam. You know, we know with, uh, you know, there's so few guys that are able to get in, you know, basically five guys a year. It becomes a logjam, and Kenny Riley has been deserving. He's been on the block for, for a long time, and I'm glad to hear that he finally got in. I think Ken Anderson, the quarterback, deserves to get in. Joe Klecko, Chuck Holly, Don Coriel, Tom, the guy who kind of invented modern-day passing football, and I'm glad he's in there. 
Yeah, Don Coryell, he deserves the recognition of what he's done for the NFL because I think when you come into the NFL and you bring a your system that you think can be successful and then 40 years later, 50 years later, they're still using it and even creating more from it, from the offense that Coryell designed. And, you know, Joe Klecko, he's an interesting guy because when he played with the sack exchange with the New York Jets, they were as dominant as you could possibly be from a pass rushing defensive line but he was physical up and down the line of scrimmage and had the luxury of playing against them and we we beat him when we played against Klecko and Gastineau but it's nice to see an older guy like that get the recognition he deserved. This is Bears All Access. We'll take our first break. We'll take a look at awards night and find out uh, the thoughts of my partners here, the former Bears, here on Bears All Access. We're brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Choose clean energy for your home at IGS.com because every good choice adds up to a better world. With Jim Miller and Tom Thayer, former Chicago Bears here on the show, taking a look at Super Bowl week. We'll get into the game in a moment. We'll also hear from Dan Pompey from The Athletic, one of the Hall of Fame voters on Devin Hester's absence in his second track, uh, his second crack, I should say, at getting into Canton, Ohio. All right, the awards ceremony last night. It is a national television extravaganza for two hours. Uh, I, I thought it was an excellent program, and a couple things. But first and foremost, the one that, that just had me choked up was DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety, walks out on stage uh, dramatically after all the medical first responders, University of Cincinnati Medical Center personnel, everyone there that helped save his life, probably 50 people on stage. And then he talks to the to America about, you know, getting back and ready to go. Uh, it, it was moving, fellas. Uh, I don't know if either of you were able to see it at all, but uh, quite a moment and quite a statement, standing ovation. There wasn't a dry eye in that place, and players were very serious when the camera panned the audience looking at him and uh, just giving him a round of applause, intently listening to what he had to say. You know, for me, Jeff, I'm glad the first responders and the people behind him had the chance to get recognized for what they were able to accomplish. Because I think when you look at the seriousness of the issue, the immediacy of the response, when you have that end result of him standing up in front of that stage talking to the audience, it just sends a positive message out to the to the world. You know, it's it's to the accomplishments of the medical field, their dedication to the immediacy of they have to make decisions. So I'm glad that as much as DeMar is up there recognizing the people that the people get the recognition that they deserve. And what's, what's going to be great. And it's going to happen again. Cause like you said, there's not going to be a, a dry eye in the house. He's going to play football again. You mm. know, even uh, Tom Mayer, the, the doctor from the NFLPA. Uh, Dr. David Sills of, of the NFL, and even our guy, uh, Dr. David Chow, they believe he's going to step on the field and he'll be able to play football again. I mean, that's that's going to be another instance where, you know, everybody's just going to be, it's incredible what he has gone through and what he has overcome and all the people that have been involved for him to, for the love of game to, and to play football, and he will step on the field again and he will play football. It's just a matter of, of time when that happens. And it's going to be another feel-good story that uh, he'll be able to accomplish. All right, the awards, we'll, we'll just run them down because, uh, obviously, we, we faced these guys. The Bears did. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson, uh, the teammate of Justin Fields, had a great year for the Jets. And uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Sauce Gardner. Uh, so 
Quite a one-two punch put together by the Jets there on the offense and defensive side of the ball. Offensive player of the year, Justin Jefferson, with 128 catches and 1,800-plus yards. Uh, a legit receiver right now in this league and somebody the Bears are going to have to deal with we, uh, you know, twice a year. Nick Bosa, the defensive player of the year, no surprise, at 18-and-a-half sacks. Uh, just run through those real quick. Jim, any surprises there, and what do you think about it? No, I voted for Justin Jefferson for offense. That's a player of the year. What a, I mean, he he truly is the best uh, receiver in the NFL. Probably him and Jamar Chase would be my top two guys. But uh, Justin Jefferson just had an incredible, incredible season all the way all the way around. I thought a good debate for defensive rookie of the year. Sauce Gardner did have a great year for the New York Jets, but Aiden Hutchinson. Look what the Lions have done. I mean, look what the Detroit Lions have done. They finished with a winning record. They knew what their fate was before they even stepped on the field with Green Bay. And I thought Aiden Hutchinson had a great year. Nine and a half sacks. You know, he just continued to get better and better. And that defense got better as the season went along. So I I personally voted for Aiden Hutchinson. You know, I would have picked Braxton Jones instead of Wilson, the rookie for Braxton Jones? Yeah. Of the Chicago Bears, Bears the left tackle. I like it. He wasn't a nominee, uh, but. I I think it's ridiculous. I think you get a guy that comes in here and plays every single snap of the entirety of a season, uh, has the amount of pressure that he was willing to take onto his shoulders, the accomplishments of the running game and the history of the Chicago Bears, and you play every single snap of every single game, no matter what the conditions are. And you think from the monsoon he played in week one against you know, Bosa and his t- – I didn't even know if Bosa was there, but the, the San Francisco 49ers, and then the cold, the element of the cold game that he played in later in the season. Um, and I think Hassan Reddick, he sh- could have got recognition for Defensive Player of the Year from what he's been able to do to really uh, be able to take that defense into division competitive to uh, a Super Bowl champ. Uh, Peyton Man of the Year is Dak Prescott of Dallas. Uh, a moving speech from him as well. Uh, humble beginnings. Uh, no easy path to the National Football League. But it, it, I got to say this again because Jared Payton and Brittany Payton get up there on stage every year. Uh, they are uh, they they look fantastic and powerful up there uh, representing their father who uh, retired 35 years ago last month. Uh, 170 straight games is certainly something that Roger Goodell pointed out. Uh, didn't miss a game, a benchmark to this day for the running back position, big time, and you helped block for him. But hats off to the Peyton family. Uh, obviously, Connie Peyton as well, observing from the stands. Couldn't be prouder of those two children, uh, now adults, and uh, representing that family in a very professional and high-character way. Yeah, you know, one thing about uh, Brittany and Jared, Really, when you see these kids running around in diapers around Platteville, maybe when they're up there for practice or it's the inner squad game or whatever the case may be, and then you talk about what these two people have matured into and developed into um, and the legacy that they're leaving behind after the legacy their dad left behind. Uh, Connie, Walter's wife, is a great woman, and Jared and uh, Brittany have turned into two great people that really support all of their communities equally as well as their dad, their dad. Well, here, here's what I'll say. Cause I interviewed Jalen Johnson who was out here. He was the representative for the Chicago bears and you know, all, all 32 players that were nominated like Jalen Johnson do a great job. And uh, what they do in their communities is tremendous, but I will say this about Dak Prescott. 
the guys following legends. When you follow a guy like Roger Staubach, a guy like uh, Troy Aikman, and Dak comes under a lot of criticism, you know, because he's under a microscope, and even Tony Romo, obviously, who he took over the job from. Uh, I thought he represents not only himself, but the Dallas Cowboys in a great way. And then the tentacles of the Chicago Bears uh, continue to reach through every single uh, day and path in the league, including this ceremony last night. Tom, your teammate, Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington Commanders, at the mic introducing the Ukrainian football players, uh, that uh, some uh, that made it to that uh, arena last night. They all got a standing ovation. Another moving moment as they showed video of the war in Ukraine and that football team. Uh, many have lost their lives that played in that Ukrainian pro football league, which is a big deal there. Uh, that league, you know, complete with cheerleaders and uh, everything you'd see in, a, in an NFL uh, field. Uh, and it, 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 it hits you in a certain way, uh, what they're going through there in that, that, that battle with Russia. And, and Chico at the, uh, at the mic was very good. Good. You know, Ron Rivera is a, a good representation of what can happen to somebody when they dedicate their life to football and um, the difficulties that these guys are facing in, in their real in their home country. It, I'm glad they bring recognition to it because if there's people out there or ways that they can help the citizens over there, I hope everybody takes action and, and does us so accordingly. And Jim, uh, the newly named Jim Brown Award. Uh, Jim in the audience. Uh, health uh, doesn't appear to be uh, very good at the moment, but he was there. They renamed the award. I, I love that. Uh, Josh Jacobs of the Vegas Raiders earned that honor. What do you think about renaming that award? What a, what a great uh, year for Josh Jacobs. Yeah, won the renaming of the award. I mean, Jim, Jim Brown's the greatest that's ever played. You know, everybody argues, hey, is it Jerry Rice? A lot of people would say it's Jim Brown. I mean, for his numbers and his impact on football. But Josh Jacobs for the Las Vegas Raiders, what a year that he had. They didn't put the fifth-year option on him, and the guy bowled out. I mean, he had over 1,600 yards and his ability to run the football, and he's going to be a coveted running back here this offseason in free agency. And the MVP, second time in six years, uh, one of your Super Bowl quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, gets that honor. Coach of the year, Brian Dable, the Giants, and comeback player of the year, Seattle quarterback, Geno Smith. We got to take a break. When we come back, we'll start breaking down the Super Bowl. Jim is uh, right there in Phoenix with us with Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. This is Bears All Access. We're brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy. Visit athletico.com to request an appointment in clinic or virtually and start feeling better tomorrow. With Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Jim Miller with us from Arizona. And Jim, you know, you've interviewed a ton of people here in the last several weeks, uh, starting with the conference championship game, going over to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, and then right to Phoenix. Uh, did you get a chance to talk to Justin Fields? He was making the rounds uh, yesterday uh, on Radio Row. Just wondered if you had a chance. No, I did not have a chance. Like I said, I talked to to Jalen Johnson and talked to a couple other guys, but I'm I'm generally excited. I, I think everybody feels this offseason the optimism that's there. Here, the Bears have the number one pick. They've got a lot of salary cap space, and it, you know, just even among his NFL peers, they believe his future is is very bright. You know, and uh, you know, and I, I'm in that category as well. I'm excited for the young man. Uh, I think he works hard. I think he's a good leader. I think uh, he represents the Chicago Bears uh, the way you want uh, your star quarterback to represent an organization. 
And so hopefully it's just a bright future and nothing but good things to come. But this offseason is going to be a very critical offseason for the Chicago Bears. And I think for that young man's future. And uh, we'll see if uh, he can take it and run with it. So I think he's got that opportunity. What happens here, Tom, is the marketing reps of all these players, they take them to Phoenix and they take them around Radio Row. So Justin did a ton of interviews yesterday, but, you know, he looks the part of your starting quarterback, your franchise quarterback. He handled the questions very well. He was upbeat, uh, very excited about his own potential. And one of the things he brought up with Rich Eisen, Tom, on his podcast was that he really wanted to work on his short passing game. And it's something we've talked about, and and that's a significant thing. He's, he says he wants to improve it, and those little victories in the short passing game will pay huge dividends, Tommy. Yeah, you know, Dave, you know, those are the requirements of a quarterback that's trying to get better at maybe his numbers aren't that impressive. Work on what your weaknesses are. And Jalen Hurts talked a lot about what he was going to work on last offseason as soon as the season ended, and that's the same direction that Justin has to be pointed in. But the psychological effects of being around a Super Bowl, I think is more important for Justin right now because you've been around some big marketed football games in college and they tow and pull you in every direction you need to be. To be out there as a player that's gained as much respect as Justin Fields has done over this last season, and then for him to go around and get that feel of a Super Bowl, what you need to do in order to get there, what happens once you do get there, the excitement, the respect, everything that you've tried to earn as a player, that's what you're being rewarded with as an active participant in the Super Bowl. So I don't think Justin ever wants to go back there as a member of Radio Row with the marketing team. He wants to go back to the Super Bowl as a member of the Chicago Bears football team. And I think this is a good experience to get some exposure around the Super Bowl. And Jimmy also uh, talked about planning to talk to uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young to pick his brain about different things. Mobile quarterback indeed. I, I, I bring this up all the time. Uh, Sid Gilliam tying his, uh, his, his uh, cleats together in practice so he wouldn't uh, just jump out of the pocket as soon as possible, throw from the pocket. I guarantee you Steve Young's going to bring up that story to Justin Fields. Uh, of course. And, uh, you know, like Tom said, you're, you're rubbing elbows with some of the greats that have ever played in the, in the NFL. And it, it, what's always interesting too, is like when I'm down on radio row, I always ask the players, are you going to the game? And as Tom mentioned, they never go to the game unless they're playing it. They want to play in it. And I think that's a good experience for Justin Fields. Cause it's, it's another goal that, you know, he's going to want to achieve in order to define his career. You know, let's face it, a lot of guys who do get in the Hall of Fame, they have multiple Super Bowls. They reach the, the greatest heights you could ever reach, but it, it's got to come with a ring. It's got to come with a Lombardi trophy. And I think that's a great experience for Justin Fields, for him to create goals for himself. Uh, lastly, real quick here, the Bears obviously with the number one pick, they're going to get a lot of uh, play for that one. Uh, Adam Schefter reporting that the Number of offers and the type of offers are going to border uh, on the ridiculous side. It's going to be very tempting. And Justin Fields was asked about that, too, about, you know, uh, the idea that how they approach that number one pick. They got to do their due diligence on other quarterbacks. And and Justin, to his credit, handled that question very well. He says, hey, you know, uh, everybody would love honesty in the process. And, uh, you know, he just he's not he says it's business. And so whatever happens, happens. You got to do your due diligence. But 
Uh, we'll pick up that conversation coming up out of the break and look take a look more in-depth at the matchup between the Eagles and the Chiefs from uh, the perspective of two former Bears, Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. I'm Jeff Joniak here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score with Jim Miller from Sirius XM NFL Radio's Moving the Chains and Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak, and this segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy. Visit athletico.com to request an appointment in clinic or virtually and start feeling better tomorrow. All right, uh, picking up that conversation before we went to break on Justin Fields, uh, Tom, the Bears have to do their due diligence here. This is a monumental foundational process this offseason, given their unique assets, both financially and draft capital-wise. Hey, if I was Ryan Poles, I would have had a booth at the Super Bowl having every <laughs> single team come up with their offer. You know, if you want to really condense this thing down to the immediacy of the decision that you're ultimately you're going to have to make, but just think about making this decision after Justin Fields has revealed himself. I think if you were a year ago, there may be a little bit more uncertainty about where you want to go with this this pick and this choice. To me, and I'm never going to derail from this, I want them to trade him for more picks. I don't think there is that one standout guy that's going to be a team changer um, that you can pick with that first pick and then wait until the 50s after that. I, I think and I hope Ryan Poles is listening to every everybody and gets a majority of uh, – quality picks that he can get for that first pick in the draft. Yeah, I, I think the Bears are pretty committed uh, to Justin Fields. You know, just by everything that Ryan has talked about, they, they're kind of in the driver's seat. And this is a critical point for the organization's future. You know, they're, they're going to have the ability to, to really, you know, like we mentioned, teams can go from worst to first. And this is the Bears' opportunity to do that. The Cincinnati Bengals are the prime example. They had Joe Burrow. They were last in the division. They picked Joe Burrow, and they were in the Super Bowl in their second year. And so how they structure this offseason and the decisions that they make are going to be critical at every moment, and they got to make the choices for the right guys that build the team, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through free agency. It's a really monumentous, uh, monumental moment in the organization's you know history where they can maybe change the tra trajectory of what has happened over the past few years. Jim, we were together at the Senior Bowl, and so we saw a, a lot of players. Shrine Bowl had some good players as well. We're three weeks out from the combine and start of pro days. Uh, did we see some bears on that field in, in Mobile? Because uh, at different positions across the board, I think, I think we may have, right? Yeah, I think certain teams really look at that Senior Bowl, and they – they really only draft a lot of players. Dallas would be one, the Seattle Seahawks, where they believe that those players are what they witnessed during that week of practice. They're going to be part of their future of their franchise. Look at Tariq Woolen. I mean, here we're talking about Sauce Gardner. Here, Tariq Woolen is a later round draft pick. He was tied with Sauce Gardner in terms of interceptions. It's actually led Sauce Gardner. So a lot of teams view that game as a building block for their team. And there's a reason why, because one of the best talent in the country, and then they showed their wares during the week and all that scouting that's involved. And a lot of teams believe that you can get really good players because that, that, that bowl game, much like we're talking about the history of the game, that senior bowl is a proven track record of how you can build your team. Tom, did you fall in love with any players? 
You know, I, I, again, I refer to this team, the offensive lineman, but, you know, just because of his versatility and the fact that you can make a pick and he can fit into one of three or four different spots and to make, a, you know, a, a team relevant. But, you know, no, there was a couple of guys I really wanted to see the Northwestern defensive tackle. Adi um, Adebare, yep. Yeah, and I wanted to see him in game conditions. You know, when you're reacting reacting to the down and distance in the play, not necessarily a one-on-one drill or an inside inside run period. So, um, I don't know. You know, Jeff, we've we've never been around this first pick in the draft before, so I think it kind of changes the way that you have to evaluate every single person. Uh, in the draft this year. All right, before we get into the, the big game on Sunday, uh, Hendon Hooker, Tennessee, he was there all week, Jim. Uh, he's intriguing to me. He had an unbelievable year going to Tennessee before the knee injury. Uh, he's working his way back. Saw a video of him making throws. Uh, where do you think he will ultimately slot? Will teams, you know, the, the thinking was he's going to fall out of certain levels because of the injury, but he's an intriguing player. Yeah, hey, there's been first-rounders that have been drafted with torn ACLs. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons of the Tennessee Titans would be one. He fell to 17, and Tennessee took him. And look at Jeffrey Simmons today. Um, We could go through running backs, all that. I interviewed Hendon Hooker. One, he's got big hands. He can spin it. He's very talented, and I like him. He's he's a leader, you know, so I I, I think a lot of teams, as he continues to heal and all that, will – will show itself, but I think he's going to be a high draft pick, in my opinion. He's got all the intangibles you're looking for at the position of quarterback. All right, let's talk about the game. Super Bowl 57. It's a, it's a beauty. Uh, the weirdest thing of all, if you're into numbers, like our statistician Doug Coletti is, uh, it's amazing the context of numbers. But how do these two teams, through 19 games, are both 16-3 and three and have scored the exact number of points offensively is beyond me. There are many others that are, are also tied together, but this is a colossal matchup, and uh, I believe it still will be one in the trenches. Jim, what, what are your keys to victory and whom? Well, I, I think Steve Spagnuolo, the defense coordinator of Kansas City, is going to have to be really aggressive on first and second down, meaning he's going to have to blitz, blitz to stop the run. Because if you look at Philadelphia, when they're in third and two and third and four and third and five, they're still 100% that they could run the football and they get first downs. So I think that's going to be the key because you mentioned the trenches. They've got to stop the run game because they've got a young secondary. They've given up more touchdown passes than any team in the league when you look at Kansas City. So if Kansas City can be productive defensively in stopping Philadelphia on first and second down, then they'll have a chance. If they cannot do that, it's going to be Philadelphia, in my opinion, all the way. They are the better team. They're the better built roster. They have more depth, and they got a ton of talent. You know, to me, I, I think the game boils down to the Kansas City offensive line. And, um, you know, the different levels of defenders that Philadelphia, that they can put out there, they can put fresh bodies in the middle of a drive. Um, and I would turn Travis Kelsey into a blocker. I wouldn't let him be a receiver in this game because they have different potions and different ways that they can formulate their defensive personnel on the line of scrimmage. And you can make that tight end come inside the formation to be a blocker on a guy. If you, and if you can create matchups like Hassan Reddick against the tight ends, then that's a winning matchup. And I think it kind of spells disaster or puts Patrick Mahomes in a retreat position. So 
I, I think this game boils down to the Kansas City offensive line as much as any other element, including both talented quarterbacks. One thing that I see here, the Eagles jumped on teams ferociously, got the lead, and then ran the ball in the second half. Jim, uh, is that possible here? Is that is that their pathway to victory? Because that's been their formula. I, I looked this up, or I, I read this somewhere. Jalen Hurts only threw 22 passes trailing in the fourth quarter. So he hasn't been used to it while Mahomes has. And Mahomes has been the right. dramatic come-from-behind well, guy. Let's face it. I mean, Philadelphia has had the easier path to get here. You'd have to go back five games where they lost to Dallas. Dallas put up 40 points on Philadelphia. This defense can be scored upon, you know, but as Tom mentioned, the blocking for Kansas City, you know, we saw two years ago in Super Bowl 55, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life, and it wasn't a winning recipe, uh, you know, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it's going to be critical. As talented as he is, you still got to protect him. And obviously, 78 sacks says it all for the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just a, it, 10 guys deep, including Robert Quinn, who gets about 12 uh, snaps a game. Uh they're 10 deep and they come at you in waves. And then, you know, you got Chris Jones of Kansas city and Hassan Reddick uh, of the Eagles fourth quarter and overtime pressures, each with 27 pressures, including the playoffs tie for second most in the NFL. I think it's going to be one of these fourth quarter dramas. I really think it's going to be an amazing game. You know, if Adamica Sue gets a chance when he, if he's hitting you, he's hitting you to hurt you. Yeah, he he's not hitting you. You get up comfortably after the play. He did it last game. And so if he does get one of those fatigue shots from an offensive guard that's already wore out from Fletcher Cox and the other guys, and all of a sudden Sue gets a, a rush that he wins immediately, I mean, watch the way that he falls or he hits or he he has bad intentions going back to Justin Fields and the, and the backup quarterback against uh, – San Francisco and Jim. And you want to know what's great? You want to know what's great, Tom? He's a free agent. War daddies. The Bears need war daddies. Right. Hey, <laughs> and listen. If this is not the best lesson of all, the Eagles were four eleven and one a little over two years ago, and completely remade this thing with Doug Peterson yeah. moving on, and they've they've done it with a young coach. Uh, so hey, the faith remains for the Chicago Bears and every team out there that. That is not in a situation loaded with talent like some of these teams. Jim, enjoy the game. Enjoy the rest of your week. Happy birthday. Behave yourself if you can in Phoenix. And we will talk to you next week, Jim. All right, guys. Good to talk to you. Dan Pompey from The Athletic joining us next here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by CDW. People who get it. Wrapping up our show tonight, we save the best for last. Mr. Dan Pompey, a Hall of Fame writer for The Athletic and on that committee of 49, right? 49 that put together the Hall of Fame class of 2023. Good evening, Dan. How you feeling? Jeff Joniak, Tom there with you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Disappointment reigns, though, among Bears fans uh, here this afternoon and this evening. Yeah, always be good to uh, talk with you guys. And glad to be here, but I wish we had better news to talk about. Obviously, Devin Hester did not get in. Second year of eligibility. Second year he did not get in. Uh, and actually backtracked a little bit this year. Last year, he made it to the top 10, and this year he did not. Uh, so it was a big disappointment uh, for me as a voter and someone who believes strongly uh, in his qualifications. But, you know, I think uh, part of the uh, <coughs> process is that we have many different voices and many different opinions, and 
we have to listen to them all. Clark Judge, so Tom, real quick, Tommy, let me just say this. Clark yeah. Judge, uh, who writes for um, a, a Hall of Fame publication on, online, uh, a website uh, called Talk of Fame, he actually broke down how long each argument was for every single uh, nominee, and I believe Devin's was 33 minutes in length. Uh, and was it a, a hearty discussion where there – was it a, a a tough sell to get him into this uh, the finalist role, or how how did this all work out in terms of that? Did, did that well, does that time frame mean anything? Is what I'm saying. Um, it does because uh, there was back and forth. It was it was a little contentious uh, because there were a number of selectors who believe that a special teams player uh, shouldn't be. Uh, is validated as a player who plays 65 snaps in a game. And uh, there was, there was some back and forth about that. Uh, I know there are a number of voters who believe strongly in Hester's candidacy as I do. Um, But, but there is a group that that came out this year that really didn't, we didn't hear from them much last year, but this year they came out and there were a number of them who said, uh, look, you know, uh, he only played so many snaps per game. How do we value that against somebody like DeMarcus Ware, who, who played many more snaps per game? So that's the battle that we're fighting with Devin Hester. You know, he's, he's unique in NFL history. There's been nobody like him who's been inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who's been a specialist only. Very few special teams players uh, have been inducted in the Hall of Fame. And then the other thing, I mean, I think he's, he's unique in the fact that he returned footballs better than anybody ever. So I think, uh, you know, that's, that's why this is not as clean a case as it would be if he had been a wide receiver or a cornerback or a linebacker. Dan, what's next, though? I mean, is there a continuous process to keep his name in the Rolodex of possible candidates? Is, is it on to the next person for the Chicago Bears? Uh, do you... I mean, how do you keep his name in the conversation but not be an over type of presence where people become numb to it? Well, I would be really surprised if he did not make the finalist uh, list again next year, Tom. As I said, there is a number, there are a number of voters who support him strongly. So I'm going to be shocked if he's not in the top 15 again. Uh, now it's just a matter of whether or not you could advance him beyond that. And, you know, I think as you have these conversations in the room, uh, it helps you understand uh, what the hurdles are that you have to get over. Uh, This year, you know, I really didn't know how strong some of these people felt about the fact that a special teams player is not uh, on the same ground with a player who's an offensive or defensive player. So now I know that. I mean, I think the thing that that I've been (laughs) Emphasizing with them, we'll continue to emphasize is that even in a fewer amount of snaps or a fewer amount of touches, he had a greater impact than the large majority of players in the history of the National Football League. And, um, you know, it just uh, comes down to, I think, trying to find ways to illustrate that and uh, win over some of the people who might feel otherwise. You know, Dan, you, the the argument of being an every snap player to not. You know, Demarcus Ware on the list of the guys that are going to the Hall of Fame this year probably played the least amount of snaps per game, because when you look at cornerbacks and linebackers, 
and offensive tackles and stuff. They are mostly every down type of players. But, you know, I think that's kind of the argument that's going to repeat itself every year that that Devin is a candidate. But it's about his um, his his performance and, you know, what he was able to accomplish, which kind of speaks for itself over an every down player. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think another thing that came up was, well, why didn't he play offense? Why didn't he excel on offense? Uh, you know, so one person even brought up, well, why didn't he play defense? You know, I, the point that I made was that he was a defensive player primarily at the University of Miami and uh, never really played wide receiver before the Bears tried him at the position uh, in 2000 and was it 2008, I believe it was, 2009. Um, so, you know, he was basically trying to learn a position for the first time in his life at the age of 26. You know, I don't think there are many busts in Canton of people who started to learn a position right. at the age of 26. Uh, so, you know, he was really just kind of born to return kicks, and obviously he, he did that better than anyone ever. And uh, I think that's something that, certainly is worthy of induction. Hey, Dan, so now the point of emphasis on kick, kick returns is dropped dramatically with the change in the fair catch and everything. Is that something that's going to hurt them or help them? I'm not sure. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, there probably is not going to be another kick returner. Right. Who, who we discuss, although certainly Cordero Patterson has put up some some great numbers as a kick returner only. He wasn't a, not a punt returner like Devin. Um, but because of the rules changes, I would think it's unlikely that we'll ever see another returner who's considered in the same category as him. Uh, I don't know that that affects his case one way or another. I think, you know, basically his case every year is going to come down to Devin Hester versus the other 14 guys who were discussing that year, if it's 14 guys, and seeing where he stacks up. I think over time, uh, you know, time is going to be his friend in this process, as it was the friend of Zach Thomas, for instance, who had to wait. Uh, I think he was a finalist eight times, maybe something like that. I, I forget off the top of my head. Uh, Rondé Barber was a finalist a number of times. I think uh, what happens is, you know, some voters kind of see this as you're in a queue, you get in line. And over time, you know, finally you come to the front of the line. And I think there's going to be a day when Devin Hester, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, comes to the front of the line. This is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. And calling all Bears fans, get the ultimate VIP fan package with Chicago Bears VIP. Secure a game ticket and appearance from Bears legends and more by visiting ChicagoBearsVIP.com. Remaining moments with Dan Pompey, a great writer, Hall of Fame NFL writer at The Athletic. Have you spoken to Devin? I have not spoken with him yet, no. Okay. Because last year he said it. He's got some choice words from me, though. He might might because, honestly, he was very upset a year ago. Uh, And so I I have not spoken to him either. I I just got a thumbs up uh, when he became a finalist. Uh, He sent a thumbs up. And uh, the amazing part of this, if I'm not mistaken, this was all done by January, right? Sometime in January. Yes, and how did this stay so secretive? Well, you know, we're kind of sworn to secrecy. Um, I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame wants to do it this way uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's a television announcement. 
And, you know, they're, they're getting money from the NFL network to do this and exposure. And the other thing is they want to have ample time to be able to notify all 15 finalists, you know, are you in, are you out? And they want to do it in a dignified way so that uh, everyone can kind of digest this and not be, you know, just hit in the face by something, you know, in, in past years, what they used to do is they flew everyone to the site of the Super Bowl, And then, uh, you know, they had the meeting the day of the Super Bowl. right after the Super Bowl, they're knocking on everyone's door saying you made it or you didn't make it. And if you didn't make it, you know, here's your plane ticket home. See you later. You know, and that was kind of a, kind of a rough way to do it. So this is a, like I said, it's, it's a more uh, dignified personal way of doing it. All right. So our last question with Dan Pompey. So next year, some of the names, Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, the great tight end, safety Eric Berry, they become a part of this mix. And then the, the great class of finalists this year, there's a lot of receivers. Uh, this was a defensive lean. Eight of the last 10 modern-day finalists uh, are inductees, are defensive players. It's a little warped in terms of the entire hall with offense, defense. So as you, again, like Tom's question, where do we go from here? How do you think that impacts Devin? And once you're a finalist back-to-back years, do you kind of stay in that realm for a while or not? Yeah, I expect him to be in the mix again next year. Um, you know, as you said, Julius Peppers is a strong first-time candidate. Antonio Gates might be a candidate. Uh, we've got three wide receivers that have been sitting there for a number of years that eventually the logjam might break with them, uh, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, and Torrey Holt. And then there's a number of other guys who are turning, like Jared Allen, uh, you know, who, who is going to get in one of these years, I think. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, but, but he's going to be in the mix without a doubt next year. I'll, I'll I'm, I'm going to be pulling for him. All right, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, great job as always on that hall of fame committee, uh, charting the history of the game and preserving it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me guys. That's going to wrap up our show tonight for Tom Thayer, Jim Miller and Dan Pompey. Thanks to our producers as well. Have fun this Super Bowl weekend for the Eagles and the Chiefs in Arizona. We'll talk to you next week here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.